Listener discretion advised by the sound contains salty language. So if you don't like that, turn it down now. No, now, like right now. Okay. Let's start this fucking show. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is, this is our authentic period before we uh, sell out and go corporate. You know, we're at 107 views. When it hits 110, we're going corporate. <laughs> From the Coast Salish land of Seattle, we're By the Sound, your community-invested podcast. Each episode, we'll speak with the brightest minds from Seattle and the Pacific Northwest. We'll discuss art and pop culture, as well as local news and politics. I'm Sarah Mays, sitting this week with Chelsea Alvarez and Aisha Hauser. On this week's show, we'll get to know more about, uh, me... I'll also discuss the British TV drama, Years and Years. Finally, we'll talk about gentrification, because the rent is too damn high. This is By the Sound. Aisha, how you doing? I need a haircut. It's starting to feel like a mane. I love my... It's the one thing to vanity I've always taken care of, because I don't... I'm terrible with makeup. Terrible. So... I need a haircut right now. I noticed today because we took our pictures, which was fun, but I feel my hair expanding by the minute. And no, I won't use a diffuser. I refuse. If you want to commit to hair vanity, like if you want to like really... Commit? I need one? Okay. Here's the thing about curly hair. Yeah. It's a fucking gift. Like it's really true. beautiful, well-maintained curly yeah. hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take that out in the world, you're doing everybody a fucking favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's a true. service. It's a service. <laughs> I like that. It's an offering. It's, it's. you know what? Yeah, yeah. I stopped coloring my hair and I love it. I have, pepper, I have salt and pepper it's hair beautiful. now. Yeah. Because I, I started going gray in my 20s and I would color my hair like weird colors that didn't match. And now I stopped when I got to Seattle because who gives a shit here? <laughs> so <laughs> nobody... <laughs> Um, so mind you, I lived in South America where women, I mm. shit you not, looked like Sofia Vergara. So I had to color my hair and take care of all the things. And now I'm like, nope, I'm in the land of grunge. And I love not coloring my hair. And I love my curly hair. So Shape it up. Yeah, that's how I am. <laughs> I'm all about my hair. <laughs> I'm all about the hair, about the hair, about the, I don't know. Sarah, how are you today? Well, I have a starburst in my mouth. <laughs> Does it work? It's a thing we read about podcasts. Mm-hmm. So we- I'll just keep talking about Sarah. <laughs> what's your What's your Starburst flavor ranking? Mm. Mm. Well, Starburst is not a, pons- a sponsor of the podcast. However. Yet. If you want to, Starburst. <laughs> My dream is that we will be able to do this podcast such that the only – ads are coming from us um Mm. for the podcast Mm. um uh what about casper obviously casper mattresses (laughs) is what about squarespace uh they have to be their yeah uh, what about dollar shave club wow (laughs) i'm just checking look i don't want to give anyone a no (laughs) (laughs) so you know what i wanted you my dream yeah I want to be asked to do a, a tour at the art museum. Ooh, can we do that? People do that. Like for podcasts? I mean, people just do uh, it because they're cool. That would be super fun. Here are my fucking dreams. Here are where I'm like, do it. my dreams are rather small. Do but it. I want to be asked to do a tour of the art museum. And I want to be asked to do one of those things where you dump out your purse and talk about the contents of your purse. We could do you that. You know what I'm talking about? We do. I just cleaned out my totally purse, so it's that. pretty it's pretty shame-free in there right now. I think the the purse thing um, might be better for podcasting than <laughs> Look, th- this ain't NPR, all right? Like wow. I am going to dream big, Sarah, and I think eventually we will be doing the museum. We were going to be asked by Sam and the Burke Museum and the African American Museum, the Northwest Fry. Fry, we're going. To, it's going to happen. I, I'm, I'm putting that out in the universe. I'm going to do an Oprah moment right now and put whoa. it in the universe. Oh yeah, it's I've been trying happen. to do that. I <laughs> I don't believe in the secrets. Fuck shit. But let's just have an Oprah moment. Yeah, I I've been trying all kinds of woo shit lately. <laughs> how woo? How woo? How woo? I bet how I'm wooer. Whoa. 
Oh, okay. I'm sure you're a wooer. Like, you, you have this whole millennial, like, astrology thing I'm happening. I'm getting into that now. Well, Instagram Chelsea witch. just explained it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, which reminds me, like... Um, follow us. You, uh, huh? Follow what? Follow us on, on Instagram. Facebook, Instagram, Facebook. no. Twitter? Oh. What? <laughs> What were you going to say, Sarah? We got I, a couple I of tracks. I followed going. you got all y'all on all the things. <laughs> no, uh, we're saying by the sound. Follow by the sound. Oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, by the sound has uh, an Instagram page Ooh. and a Twitter page. It feels like we should take and, a picture and um, put it on it, like our three, the three of us. Oh yeah, we're totally going to do that. Oh my god, uh, you guys! Once they get back to us, stories. Stories are where it's at. Oh, I don't know what that means. We, uh, I am. <laughs> Do they have stories on Instagram? Oh my god! Oh my god! You guys, I did it once, but then it disappeared. It made I me it sad. Yeah, it disappears after twenty four hours. Oh, Jesus. I thought it was a thing for like pictures, babes. Okay, <laughs> I'll show you. How it works. Story. Well, no. If we're gonna write a story, then can't we just? I don't put think that we write it. I think it's like pictures. Something. It's something. You guys are no, stressing no, me out. Picture. This is we're stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> Mimosas. <laughs> we're having mimosas in the middle of the day because we're cool. And it's no, resulting. we just launched our fucking podcast. We did. It was super fun. Um, wait, what's happening? Stories. Okay, we're going to teach us. I want to learn how to do my hair from a millennial and stories. Yeah, I will teach you. Here are the things I, a millennial, will teach you. Awesome. And I want you to do my astrology yeah, chart. That's the other thing. Very I will cool. teach you about your natal chart. Nice. I will show you where to get your hair cut appropriately. Yes. I will teach you about Instagram stories. Yes. I will teach you about cheerful nihilism. Oh, cheerful. I know nihilism, but cheerful. It's a new yeah. thing. Is that a millennial thing? Yeah. I invented cheerful nihilism. You can't. <laughs> Sarah's owning it. Okay. Um, I can teach you a little bit about memes, but that requires like a lot well, I've of... I've seen memes. I mean, <laughs> you mean make... Okay, Sarah's now laughing at me. I mean, Chelsea's laughing at me. So you mean like make them? No, just like how to keep up with them oh. and like how to understand them so that when someone says they did surgery on a grape, you can like... That's a meme, I'm guessing. Yes. I'm inferring... Yeah. From our, con- from mm-hmm. our context clues. You're doing great. You you're already got it. Gotcha. I haven't heard of that one. Me neither. But I know Keanu Reeves is very sad. Cats can have a little salami. Do you know that one? Salami? I thought they can have the cheeseburgers. I yelling. Yeah. Wow. Cats have cheeseburgers, which does yeah. not make any sense to me. I know ugh, I can have cheeseburgers. Like, it's not That's funny. like 15 years wow. behind. <laughs> What's sad is that, like, so a cat has cheeseburgers, and then a whole, like, Seattle company started for That's cats true. to has cheeseburgers. And then I don't think they're a thing anymore. No, they're no, not. Nothing's they're forever. Too, it's fine. But, nothing, was, nothing is forever. And something I mean, your browser be. history actually is forever. Oh, yeah. But. Wait. Yes. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I can't delete anything. Oh, no, no, no. An old boss of mine <laughs> taught me that you can have a private browsing history. Incognito. Yeah, incognito. Uh, th- this is the boss that has taught me so much about porn, and um, <laughs> she 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 told me this this incognito thing exists, and I probably would have made different choices. <laughs> yeah, but somebody still has it. I'm, incognito yeah. is only for local servers. Somebody still has it. It's true. Nothing An industrious on- hacker exactly can find everything nothing you've ever done hidden. on the internet. Nothing. It is all out there. Whatever porn you've been looking at. Someone can find out. Yeah, absolutely. Is it that interesting, though? No, not really. I mean, is anyone's... Do you remember when uh, Donald Glover or Childish Gambino, depending on what your point of entry is for him, uh, had that, like, Instagram freakout? You guys have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. No. Nope. I do I not recognize... Dan- Danny, know, yeah. Danny this Glover was from, like, Lethal Weapon? Donald no. Glover. No, no, that's Donald. Yeah, no relation... Uh, Donald Glover from Community. He's he he's now Lando Calrissian. I believe it was in his stories. Oh, here we go. I don't know what that means. I'll show okay. you later. Instagram is yes. for pictures, not stories. So I don't know how many times I have to stories. Do. Stories are just pictures that disappear after twenty four hours. So like that's where you well, show why? your butthole. I thought the Instagram is forever. No, I mean everything is forever. <laughs> everything is archived. Everything is cached. Whatever. Somewhere. But stories are for things that you want to be ephemeral. Okay. Why would you do that? Um, Well, I mean, it really depends on how you're out here living your life. Uh, It's ideal for thirst traps. 
Are you guys going to make me explain thirst traps? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Woo! Um, thirst traps are pictures, usually, that are meant to inspire thirst. Sexual thirst. Oh, okay. Yes. <clears throat> so, like, often it's a picture of someone in underwear, <clears throat> swimwear, shirtless gym selfie, whatever, with a pretext of, like... So, like, imagine uh, I'm, I post a picture where I'm, like, at the gym and, like, in a sports bra and shorts or whatever... And like posed, like to look cute, but then the caption is like thinking about lunch. You know what I mean? Mm. Say the name again of what that was. Thirst trap. Thirst trap. Thank you. I'm so so excited. The desired response is to get people to slide into my DMs. Mm. This is a term you're familiar with. Direct messages. It's it's uh, what we on on Facebook. They're called comments. I'm so excited. No, no, direct (laughs) message. That's what you've been doing with Chelsea and I. That's a direct message. Yeah, that's a DM. A DM is what you've been... No, that's, that's Comments are public. No, no. You've been sending us emails through Messenger. That's a DM. We need like a chart. Oh, text. That I knew. A DM is a text message. Yes. So there's the messaging... It's literally direct messaging. Direct messaging. Not a comment. Not public. So I'm the only one that sees it. So I post a thirst trap and then you say in my DMs... I don't fucking know. Hey. Hey. Want to get together at the Beacon Hill? Where are you getting lunch? Oh, you getting lunch without me? You look good Um, enough to eat. You can say, oh, yeah. I mean, depending on. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. That's where the hookup culture. Instagram Yes. Okay. Flirting. Yeah. Nice. You with me so far? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's uh, sexy photos. Yes. Panty porn. Sure. Um, wow, she didn't use that language, but sure. Yeah, let's do it. I, I'm just, let's, I'm, I'm hearkening. Sarah kicks it up several yes. notches. I'm, I'm, I'm just hearkening back to, you know, the the, the olden days and like mm-hmm. it, it, what we might have called yeah, this porn. thirst. Mm-hmm. What is that, like a Tumblr thing? Are we talking about Tumblr? Or is this more of like. I a, miss Tumblr. Never did it. I couldn't. I'm, I'm too old. I could never, never did figure Tumblr. it out. Panty porn was more of a Sears catalog thing. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty sad, actually. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for our listeners? Ah, glad you asked. It means that in addition to hearing our conversations about local issues and interviews with our most interesting Seattle-area neighbors, fans of the show can join our listener community online by supporting the podcast on Patreon. Doing so will unlock access to our private Facebook group. What are we posting in the Facebook group? (laughs) Well, in addition to exclusive previews about what we'll be discussing on the show, we offer a curated stream of the best and most provocative local news stories each day. That's dope. How much will it cost to join? Our online community membership is available to all patrons starting at $5 per month. How else can fans of the show invest in this community? Our supporters on Patreon, who contribute $10 or more per month, will receive exclusive invitations to buy the sound meetups at Seattle-area coffee shops, bars, and parks, where they could meet by the sound co-hosts, guests, and other local fans of the show. Sweet. Where should listeners go to donate? They can visit bythesound.net and click on the donate button. That's bythesound.net. Or go directly to patreon.com slash bythesound. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash bythesound. I want to know about your journey as a Lego maniac. Ooh. Oh. Um, There's Lego all over Sam's <laughs> apartment we need to name. It was one of the only toys I had as a child, and it was such a big deal to... Um, actually go to Sears and see the the few Lego sets they had and, uh, you know, bug my grandma for one and then I might get one for Christmas or something. And I just spent an outrageous amount of time building everything I could with them and probably really boring stuff. Like I, I see what my nine-year-old builds with Legos and he's so much more imaginative than I was. Like I would build a bank you know, with a drive-through yeah. uh, machine or, you know, a fire station or a stadium. Like, 
things that we might see IRL, but you know, my littlest makes mechs and which is a kind of robot mm-hmm. uh, that involves a person built into it. So we'll see where that's going. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and very intricate and amazing like contraptions or robotic, but I was into simple stuff anyway. So when I was a teenager, and was focusing my energies full-time on school and girls and acting. At some point, I wanted cash for something, probably for a VHS of Depeche Mode videos, Mm -hmm. um, and sold all my Legos. All of them? Yeah. And then, like, I went to college, and freshman year of college, I have a mental breakdown and am looking to go back to a a more comfortable like safe space. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm like what my life needs is Lego to oh, play with. Oh, what could be safer than Lego? Like <laughs> it's a contained world that is orderly uh-huh. and uh structured. It's it's I had I had a Lego situation that helped me through a particularly stressful time. So I feel that. Well, and at this moment, my oldest Lego set is one that I purchased at the age of 19. And so, yeah, I have bankers boxes full of Lego sets that I've reduced to. I I like to say I I store all my wealth in Lego because (laughs) I've been kind of bad at the whole like adulting money thing yeah everyone is it's 2019 no one has any money except for the people that have all the money yeah it's not you it's Um, capitalism well i i yes and some people have inherited wealth and that makes a big difference you know sure does so i can at least say like the Lego sets that I'm storing my wealth in, which, okay, is bullshit. I'm, I'm storing, like, <laughs> my kids are using them, and, uh, you know, maybe I'll be able to share them with my grandkids. Uh, at least I can say I earned, uh, you know, my labor paid for all those, yes. or at least my credit debt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. um, but hopefully my grandkids um, will be able to think of those Lego sets as their inherited wealth. Both of my sons have been into it in different ways. My oldest, he gets the set. He builds it according to the directions Mm -hmm. and then puts it on display and it sits there and and gets dust on it. But uh, my littlest dismantles right away and starts going wild and... Um, anyway, so when we went our, on our first family vacation uh, last spring, it was obvious to all of us that the place to go was Legoland. Oh, I want to know what you want the world to know about you. Sarah, what are you hiding? <laughs> <laughs> um, most of... What I've been hiding in my life uh, is now on full display, uh, has been fully integrated into my life. Uh, A friend of mine was, uh, she asked me if there was anything that, you know, basically any skeletons in my closet. And I told her that the biggest skeleton, I invited the whole world to know all at once, you know. And fully integrated into my life. And so you were born in uh, Alabama. Yes. Birmingham? Montgomery? No, not Birmingham. Nothing that upscale. Birmingham is one of the most inclusive cities in the country. I read. What do you mean by inclusive? I don't know. I just read the headline. So you were born in Alabama. (laughs) I can't elaborate. We'll help you next show. Uh, Yeah, I was born in central Alabama in in a place uh, between Montgomery and uh, Tuskegee. And um, grew up playing in a ditch, uh, wearing nothing but overalls. And <laughs> I say the circumstances of my birth are inconsequential. <laughs> no. When did you feel reborn? No, no, no. That no. you are yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. They are they are quite consequential. Sorry, I was I just wanted to quote Doctor oh. Evil. The 
the circumstances of my birth were fucking hard. So my father abandoned my mother and my sister when she was when my mother was pregnant with me. Um, and where'd he go? He went to Oregon, which is where my he and my mother had been from. And I didn't have any communication with him or meet him until I was 18 years old. Damn. Wow. Did you look for him or he looked for you? Um, I can't remember. I know I came to the meeting with a lot of like very earnest questions, things I wanted to get to the bottom of because I was old enough to know that like different adults and adult relationships could have different stories about what had gone on. So did and, you get answers? Uh, yeah, he was very forthright with me about um, the questions I asked. I think I think he was forthright because his answers were so um, affirming of, of what my mother had said and would not have been self-serving for him mm. at all. I, he basically confirmed a lot of the worst that I had heard. Anyway, that's the... For, First only and last time I saw him. Um, My mother uh, had been left there in Alabama with a high school education and practically nothing else. Uh, They were Mormon and her being left as a single woman in the Mormon church came with a lot of um, stigma. And so... It was either while she was pregnant with me or right afterwards that she started uh, getting her nursing degree. And she spent my childhood being a registered nurse, uh, a shift nurse. So it ended up being me being raised by a pack of women, my sister, mom, grandmother, and um, my aunt would come along sometimes. As we noted on uh, an earlier show, it was these very strong and independent-minded women who simultaneously were clinging to the Mormon faith, yeah. uh, which is very patriarchal. And I was raised basically to become Mitt Romney. <laughs> wow. Now, forgetting all the you know advantages that someone might like Mitt Romney might have, like coming from his family background and wealth. I was basically raised to become the kind of man that he is, despite despite all those differences. Hmm. And um, yeah, I forget the question, uh, but I can tell already that this is going to be much harder to edit than your own interviews. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about hairless cats? I'm against it. 100% against? But it does. it can't help it. It didn't want to be... I would love it just because somebody something did that to them. They they were not they did not choose to be hairless. I wouldn't choose to be hairless. It's sad. Like I've never seen a happy picture of a hairless cat. They're usually pretty um bitter about the situation. I feel like you're just describing cats. <laughs> Dogs are happy. Dogs appear to be happy in order to manipulate no, humans. They're all they want to do is eat, but they're pretty happy creatures. I mean, they have the attention span of a gnat. What is happiness? Can an animal be happy? Yes, if you feed it and give it water and let it sit. Is in a that blanket. happiness or is that like having no. one's basic physical needs met? I, but dogs are pretty happy about it. Like my maybe I'm okay. Sarah, do you believe in happiness? Absolutely. It's fleeting. It's can, not a constant state. You would be exhausted. Because it's not a constant state, but like, do you believe animals can experience happiness? Yes. And I, I feel like uh, most of them do. And I feel like dogs are just living, breathing proof that the less you know, the happier you can be. Oh my God, I've thought that. I think you're absolutely <laughs> a thousand percent right. Yeah, I think that might be the They issue. don't need anything. They don't overthink it. My dogs are both, when they don't, um, we did fix them, but they still get horny and they still try to hump each other. Yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. And they're super happy about it. They're fine. They're, as long as we, they do get upset if we don't feed them. Human golden retriever Channing Tatum <laughs> recently so perfect. posted on Instagram. So perfect. Uh, basically like a live, laugh, love sign that his mom had given him that said, Live as though someone left the gate open. And he was so excited about it because he's literally 
a human golden retriever. He is, God bless him. God bless Channing Tatum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, have you guys uh, seen BoJack Horseman? I've watched a couple episodes, but I can't care about a sad guy enough to right, keep going. Right. Oh, there, there's a golden retriever on the show, and I feel like it's just perfectly per- animal, animorph, animorph, and anthropomorphized. anthropomorphized. Well, it's it's a dog. <laughs> There's literally a dog, uh, yeah. but it talks and it's, a relationship it with a human really girl. brings out the spirit of, of yeah. uh, golden retriever and totally. dogs in general. And he gets his feelings hurt. It's the saddest thing. Breaks my heart when he gets his feelings hurt. I'm going to answer that first rude question you had Thanks. about what I would want the world to know about me. Mm-hmm. It is that I think the opposite of love isn't hate, but fear. And so I try to have as little fear in my life as possible. And that isn't to say I am fearless. I have fearless moments. I have fearless choices. Um, I try to bring my best Gryffindor self to situations, but it's really easy for me to be afraid of everything, mm-hmm. like a scaredy cat. And when I challenge myself to replace the fear and apprehension with fearlessness, that is when I become most loving and that is when I'm happiest. Mm. So that's, yeah, that's, um, that's the best thing I've learned is that love is the absence of fear. That's some beautiful deep shit. I love you. (laughs) That's, that's, I mean, seriously, it's cool. Thank you for that. Sarah. Chelsea. When you say that By the Sound is a community-invested podcast, what does that mean for me? Um, you're getting paid, Chelsea. I'm getting paid? Yeah, and so are Aisha and myself. We value people's time at By the Sound, and we know that rent isn't cheap here in Seattle. So what did our donors get out of this arrangement? Well, the more donations we receive, the more episodes we're able to produce. Their support also funds our activities to build our local By the Sound community. This is another way in which we're becoming a community-invested podcast. Cool beans. How can listeners donate? They can visit bythesound.net and click the donate button. That's bythesound.net. Or they can go directly to patreon.com slash bythesound. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash by the sound. What I'm trying to get everyone to see is Years and Years, which first aired on BBC One and then was picked up by HBO. It is a limited series, so it's like six parts, um, each an hour long. So it's not, um, you know, these days it feels like you start a new show and if you like it, it's going to be a big undertaking or something. So I, I quite like limited series where they, you know, put it all together and put a bow on it. And what years and years did that was so impressive to me is I felt they really captured this historical moment in a way I haven't seen other shows do uh, in all of the craziness of it, either from the election of Donald Trump or um, Brexit Um <laughs> You know, as as a child of the 80s and the 90s, you know, I spent most of the 90s feeling like there was a, you know, end of history type Pax Americana type thing going on. I b- bought into all of that and, and the sense of like normalcy that institutions ran properly and the economy went one direction and then uh, September 11th happened and it seemed like from... September 11th, 2001 onward, it was like this cascade of events, one after another, after yeah. another, and this escalation of crazy. Yes. Uh, you know, kind of reaching uh, a, a crescendo with the Brexit and the election of Donald Trump. But then it's it's now the, you know, a, a friend texted me the other day about all the crazy stuff that was going on in Washington. And I'm like, you know... 
You're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, you got to be more specific because I am numb to this shit. It is, it's a day that ends in Y, yeah. you know, and I think years and years really captures that. It starts um, in 2019. Um, it's focused on uh, the Lyons family, a fictional family, um, which seems to have you know, some inherited wealth, but it is mostly at this point a middle-class uh, British family, English family. It shows how fictitious events from this point forward impact the family in some ways that are really intimate. And I think a lot of us have had that sort of intrusion that uh, news events or events we can identify readily as world historical end up like knocking at our door and, and becoming very real parts of our lives. And we see this on the show that I think as it's presented in the trailers and such, uh, as it's promoted, is shown as dystopian, which it is. But the dystopia that they build is especially alarming because of the realism that's built up around it. They don't just show a future with all this, all these horrible things happening in terms of war and economy and social structure, um, you know, the rise of authoritarian governments, you know, class inequality, you know, exploding even more. They, they show that happening alongside positive changes Mm -hmm. like advancements in medical science. Um, Mm. They get deep into how technology, you know, how Alexa becomes, I'll try not to, to give away too many spoilers, but you know, Alexa goes or that, that type box in the home goes from being a console to being something that's literally in the walls. So it's not just like, the black mirror sort of like yeah. what if cell phones, but very, very bad. Yeah. Black, but most of the black mirror episodes are horrifying in, in that twilight zone kind of way that like there's, there's enough truth there for it to be really alarming, but you can keep like that distance from it yes. in that it seems like unlikely right. years and years. Like the way it's presented in these six episodes at times you feel like, you know, you just get used to one paradigm and then a bunch of stuff happens all at once that feels really familiar yeah. that changes society and changes the characters' lives. W- one of the biggest events is a character named Vivian Rook, who's played by Emma Thompson. She's sort of a populist media figure who rises to become prime minister. And she's sort of like female Boris Johnson. Oh. And <laughs> yeah, when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, well, she's sort of a female Donald Trump, but, you know, more charming, less less viscerally disgusting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, now I'm re- realizing she's a lot like Boris Johnson right. and that she has the educational pedigree, but the populist like messaging. So you see her come to power and how um, her nativist populist party affects the laws that have impacts on the people. And it, it deals with the biggest subjects in Britain and America these days, like immigration, refugees, uh, the status of marginalized groups. And they introduce kind of all new Let's just say there is a trans coming out story that is really surprising and it's a a new frontier of identity that gets explored there. Where can you see it? It is on HBO and there is a monologue in the last episode by um, Anne Reed, an elderly actress playing Muriel Deacon, who's sort of the matriarch of this family, uh, which is middle class and descending Mm -hmm. (laughs) with all the the changes in society uh, that feel very real. Um, She has this monologue about how they are all responsible for the awfulness. And she ties it all back to this moment 
that we have all faced at the grocery store. And I'm not going to blow it, but it, it it's it's just, I thought, really profound. And I hope people will uh, give this show a watch. It's really unique. Cool. I recently saw an article uh, by Glenn Nelson called, um, it was on Crosscut, and it's called How Seattle Can Slow Gentrification and Why It Must. Um, and by article, it's 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 a long opinion piece. It's very well written, very thoughtful. We'll put it in the show notes. Check it out. And I've been thinking about gentrification for a long time and evolving on it and always evolving. And I'll, I'll, it's been changing by what I've learned about other people's experiences and what I've learned about the history of race relations and and racial oppression in this country. Um, But I won't speak to that. I don't think it's my place to describe that. So for the moment, I'll just say what my experience of gentrification has been and what I think it points to in terms of public policy and behavior that could help the problem. So I've lived in apartments for most of my life and have been a renter for most of my life. And in the 13 years I've lived in Seattle, I've moved five times. And a normal year involves the lease coming up for renewal and finding out from my landlord that it's going up by a hundred bucks. Yeah. And up here where we're recording today on the North end that isn't usually called gentrification. It is just a fact of life that fucking sucks and makes it feel like you, you, you got you got to work really hard to stay in Seattle. But tend to expect it happening as a function of markets and supply and demand. So if you create more housing supply, ideally – that should, I guess, shift the supply curve to the right. If any of our listeners are economists, they're probably writing an angry email. Um, but Seattle has always been growing and it will keep growing. We have climate advantages. Uh, the world's population has exploded in our lifetimes. Um, this is uh, a, a wealthy city. It's always growing. There's always going to be more. And from my perspective as a renter, it seems to me that the answer to this affordability problem is always going to be more apartments, more density, public transportation. Rent control? Yes, I would love rent control. And I would in any efforts to have affordable housing are great. Rent control is better. Yeah. I'm 100% uh, in favor. But in my neighborhood, most of the resistance to density – and apartment complexes and all the things that could really help me out tends to come from the single family home. You know, there's a house and there's grass around it and it was built in 1955 and, you know, there's there's a, a you know, now probably a retiree there who worked for Boeing and they have their thing and the their property tax is going up every year. And I've really had to work hard to care sarah yeah this person you're describing could they be called a nimby absolutely yes i have had to work really hard to give a fuck like well first first of all the property is stolen yeah why wait why are we giving a fuck about people who own homes uh well they're asking i mean they can ask for whatever they want i don't have to give a fuck about they have a lot more power they they're asking again they vote more but there's just it's not about giving a fuck. It's about understanding the reality of their um, disproportionate influence. And I didn't think I could give a fuck at all, you know. But one of the things that has led me to give a fuck is learning more about the history of redlining in the country, how for some people of some races, intergenerational wealth like that that's uh, stored in property is – a big deal in ways I hadn't really uh, considered before. 
And so what But is also nearly non-existent at this point. Like for non-white people uh in Seattle specifically, homeownership is at uh startling lows like the, to the point of like practically being non-existent i don't have the numbers in front of me maybe it's in the article but when we talk about homeowners in seattle in 2019 we are talking about white people so, practically exclusively even in the south end and like there are blocks i live in i live in south seattle um and have for i think five or six years six maybe seven years and in just that time, I have watched entire blocks go from nearly totally POC owned to all of those people being gone and young white families moving in in their place. So you think there there was uh, black and POC ownership of property in Seattle and that that's going down in South Seattle in South Seattle. And yes, is going down. I could be totally wrong. I mean, this is anecdotal. I believe I've seen these numbers, but like, this is what I have witnessed in South Seattle in the time I have lived. It's definitely true in the central district. There were, it was, you know, mostly black and then owned homes. Um, There was a great program a few years ago, black in Seattle with uh, Tanya Mosley when she was still here and uh, CC Gardner Gless. Her name is um, and a few other folks. Uh, they were at the Bush School, but they talked about the Central District having been predominantly black, yeah. and now com- completely not. Completely not. Not. Yeah. Yeah, and that. I mean, I mean, black home owned. Yes, homeowners, and now it's completely. I mean, C- Bellevue City, Seattle is predominantly white. Bellevue is not, which is interesting. Bellevue, the city, it's not predominantly white. Wow. Seattle is, yeah. I mean, it's like one or two percentage points difference, but still, yeah. Seattle is a majority white city, and Bellevue, Washington, just across Lake Washington, is not a majority white city. Yeah. So when we hear about gentrification in Seattle in 2019, what do you guys think we're talking about? Are we talking about renters or homeowners? Are we talking about— I think both. Yeah. We're talking about race. We're talking about renters versus homeowners. I mean, if we pull apart the word— gentrification there is no uh racial aspect like implicit to the word itself we're talking about like gentry we're talking about the uh wealthy taking over like portions of land it's not uh intrinsically a racial issue however it uh certainly is a racial issue in reality and hyper-policing helps that. The hyper-policing is what helps bring about gentrification is you clear out, you know, you, you hyper-police a neighborhood and harass the POC and harass black people and indigenous people and people of color and the poor. Um, and that sets – it's a it's really – it's a continuation of colonization, really. Something that's interesting to me, my kids go to a school that is uh, pre-K through eight and you can just by looking at the um, demographics of each grade, you can see how fast gentrification is occurring in the South Mm. End. Because the middle school is still nearly all POC. And that has a lot to do with white parents pulling their kids out of public school as they get older uh, in the South End. But There are private schools there? um, They're not going to private schools in the South End. They're going to private schools in North Seattle. They're going. They're they're oh. busing and being okay. driven. Up or they're to, going AP in Washington. Yeah, See, for, for our family, like the Seattle Public School District is the goal. Yeah, it, like for me, like I'm clinging to. We're in one of the cheapest apartments in North Seattle, or perhaps all of Seattle right now, because I want to keep my kids in the school here. And that's like, that is the benefit is these nice schools. And I wonder like for, you know, all these times I've been, I've had to move, uh, which has been almost every time because the rent gets too damn high. Am I as a white person being subjected to gentrification? Is that what's happening? Or am I being subjected to 
nimbification from you know a, a landowning population that wants to keep their front lawn and and yeah. is against the the fact that Seattle is growing. I mean, we're talking about class. Like you are. What is your class identification, Sarah? Um, lower. Yeah. So you are being. Uh, blown about by the winds of gentrification because you do not have the same financial security that a NIMBY does. Mm -hmm. And like a person can end up there uh, by dint of race and a lack of inherited uh, generational wealth. Or like you can just be fucking born in Alabama to a single mom, my dude. Like it's, it's not always about race necessarily Mm -hmm. necessarily yeah um so are are we in agreement then that um density is an answer yes yeah yep and rent control we need rent control new york Mm -hmm. city even has rent control is the seattle have any rent control no Oh, for I mean, sake. we have we have a certain amount of affordable housing required in any new uh, apartment complex or building, but the amount of affordable housing that is I can't remember the numbers, but it's a very low amount. And what is referred to as affordable, no. the numbers are so skewed. And like, what's what's the median income in Seattle at this point? Eighty three thousand five hundred dollars. Wait, I need to correct that. $93,500. For how big of a household? For all households. That's the median household. Damn. <sighs> <laughs> I know. I said 83 because I briefly had that salary. Mm. Oh, man. You must have been stoked. I was so stoked. I made 83000 a year and some change, and I thought I'd become rich. Yeah. And I, I had guilt about it and I left that job. I, I, a few months later find out that it's 93. That's the median. Oh. 93,000. And I'm like, oh shit. Like I, I wasn't even at, at the median level. Yeah. So I don't know. It it amazes me that that people are making that kind of money. It amazes me that people who, I mean, most years since I've lived here, I've made between forty five and fifty two thousand a year. Yeah. So it's a, incredible. I'm still here, <laughs> um, but I when I don't like bristle when I hear that luxury condos are being made because I keep moving into places where maybe the word luxury never applied, but where I I know they wouldn't have been affordable to someone like me when they were built. Yeah. Um, But all the places that are built, like, and not with the highest standards and and in neighborhoods that come or go out of fashion, I just, I take for granted that the important thing is raising the housing stock and – something I'd like to see the city do is make sure they're not commoditized because it doesn't help people in Seattle when a condo is made and then purchased as an investment product that no one is going to live in. Oh, that happens here. Yeah. And it's, it makes sense to me. Like it's, you know, if I, if I were some kind of wall streety hedge fundy kind of person, like that would seem like a great investment product. Sure would. One of the most disingenuous things I've ever heard Mayor Durkin say is that it it, it is uh, xenophobic to try to prevent uh, foreign ownership of these commoditized like housing units. And I, I think she looked right over the ways that we can find like whether or not a unit is being uni- utilized. Uh, whether or not there's a tenant there, is energy uh, being consumed? Is she also water... doesn't give a shit about equity, so there would be no reason for her to think anything other than if people can afford to pay a lot of money for things, let them. She doesn't really give a shit about equalizing the playing field, so I... she doesn't care. I mean, if she had if she had a lens of like Nikita Oliver, who should have been our mayor, um, a lens of 
improving the lives of those most impacted by the abject inequity in Seattle, that would be an issue. That is not Jenny Durkin has never had that lens at all. And and it's pretty clear she doesn't give a shit. Like she's happy that foreign investors are coming in and rate and driving up prices. She doesn't give a shit. I mean it's a matter of philosophy, isn't yeah. it? Like what do we yeah. believe a city is for? Right. Is a city a money making machine? Is is the entire point of a city to accrue capital or is a city a place for people? Right. Are we concerned with making our cities a place where people can live? Currently, that's not what Seattle's after. <laughs> Neither is San Francisco. San Francisco said for every oh. homeless person. Did you see that article? Like, I don't know why people would pay to live there. Like, okay, San Francisco houses. smells like pee and poop. And poop. And it's, I don't, I'm going to say this, they're worse to their homeless population than Seattle, which is a really, that's a huge thing to say. We're pretty, yeah, we're pretty awful. It's terrible here. And, and San Francisco's fucking times 10 worse. I mean, I want to live in San Francisco, like, I don't know, anywhere between vertigo and the love bug. I want to live in (laughs) San Francisco. More towards vertigo for me. Um, and but when I go there in my lifetime, um, it, it's just – it's gross. Yeah. And I don't – it's weird that people are paying so much money to live in and such a gross are empty. place. There's a whole thing really? about how many empty houses are in, in San Francisco. When we see a place where there used to be single-family homes being replaced by four or five, six-story apartment building, what should we think about gentrification in that place? It depends on who's in the apartment buildings. Yeah. It depends on who's in the single family homes. It depends on what's going in around those single family yeah, homes. Can people afford to buy the groceries in the neighborhood they grew up in? Can people afford a fucking haircut in the neighborhood in which they grew up? I think when we see our cities become a playground for the rich and we are no longer leaving space for anyone else. Uh, that's when we have a problem. So now, where should rich people live? Should rich people exist? No. There you go. Yeah, I mean, okay, but they do. <laughs> um, well, hoarding wealth, and and for the record, like I think rich people are nice. I what. <laughs> Wealth is the problem. It's not. It's it's the system that allows the hoarding. I mean, so why does any one human or human family need a billion dollars? And um, so the hoarding of wealth is the problem because humans need to live together. But I don't. I don't think the the backlash or concerns about gentrification are about the one percent. It's all connected. It's all. It's all that everybody wants to become. Not everybody. There, there's a there, which thankfully now I think is becoming less and less um, believed is the whole idea of the American dream, right? This marketing yeah. tool that was what started after World War II. It's all connected to this. This um, what is a city for? Going back to Chelsea's question, who do we prioritize? Who do we prioritize? Who do we center? Who do we? If so, for centering money, then we're centering rich people rather than centering community and taking care of each other. So rich people aren't a part of our communities. So. It's a complicated answer. Yes, we're all in community. We not all of us act like we're in community and we're connected. So the problem is the to me the um, soullessness of some rich people. Jeff Bezos, I'm talking to you, fucker. Um, like not giving, like getting the head tax repealed just because. There's no reason to do that. The city council passed a head tax. Over, you know, corporations making what? Some obscene amount of money. There was no reason to do that except he could. Well, and to send a message to other jurisdictions. Right. It was a bold shit dick Politicians at every level. I'm actually not willing to say not all rich people. I think that if you are rich, you are fucking up. Point blank. If you you are hoarding wealth and not uh, divesting from the concept of – richness if if a person is hoarding wealth they can suck my dick from the back That's okay it. so but i gotcha i hear you yeah i get what you're saying let's say okay jeff bezos is one guy and the one percent is just one percent 
and they're often living exclusively in places that I'm not talking about the 1%. I'm not talking oh, about wait, succession. I'm not talking sense. about like the I'm I'm not even talking about the like oh, oh, horrifically wealthy. I am talking about people making more money than they need to survive who aren't redirecting that money into their communities. Mm-hmm. Who aren't uh but it's all connected. You're not yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's all connected. I'm s- In other words, the reason why people are doing that is they're living under this fallacy yeah. that they're going to become Jeff fucking Bezos. Yes, or we're all temporarily embarrassed billionaires. Yes, we're all. Te- but that's the that's the problem. Is this we yeah. need to start reimagining society and what it's for because we have no fucking choice. Yeah. Human- I mean, look at what's happening with the Earth. So yes, and it's not that I disagree with you yeah. at all. It's that it's connected to the because pe- that's why people are hoarding wealth. They think they're going to fucking become. The next Carl, I was about to say Carl Gates for inexplicably, that's not his name, <laughs> whatever Gates. the fuck. Fuck Carl Gates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Carl Gates owes me some and money. David Bezos, whatever the fuck their names are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when we talk about the neighborhoods that are being gentrified, is it the existence of people who have more money than they need that, that is a essential component of gentrification? That is, can people with just as much as they need or almost as much as they need contribute to gentrification? And if, if it's only people with more than they need, like how much more? Like what, what is our, our threshold level? I don't know, man. I'm not an economist. Gentr- what I do know is that Seattle is hostile to the poor. Actively. Hostile to the poor. Every city in this country is hostile to yeah. the poor. And Every major we, city is hostile to the poor because the United States has criminalized poor and lower class since its founding. It it is hostile. That is yes. the, that's what we have to. We have a failure of imagination. In this Ooh, country. yes. We have to reimagine what liberation looks like, and we have to stop criminalizing black and brown bodies. And we have to stop criminalizing being poor. Amen to that. Because over policing is an integral part of what happens with gentrification. Yeah, integral. Facts. Fact. So it's a it's a lot it's a con- interconnected because it doesn't because people who just make the hundred grand like maybe get okay who aren't part of the one percent absolutely contribute to gentrification because that's part of the story we tell ourselves as people in the United States of what what it means to make it and because being poor is seen as a personal failure a personal failure then people will do what they can to be perceived as part of the gentrifiers because it's a status. So we need to reimagine what it means to be in community and what it means to be together. It's, it's, we, we, we suffer, we being people in the United States, from a lack of imagination. What are you grateful for this week, Chelsea? Dragon Quest Eight on iPhone. I've been sick, as I mentioned, and I've been playing this uh, RPG that I have played through before on PS2 and it has been a lifesaver because I uh, was not really able to move for two days and I got to slip into an imaginary world and fight slimes. You are a very sick, very sad, very adorable nerd. <laughs> yeah. Aisha, what do you have? My my two dogs, True and Sebastian, they just love me no matter what. And they only maybe want me for food, and that's fine with me. We have a really awesome transactional relationship. I feed them and they hug me. Not to eat you. They probably would if I dropped dead and they couldn't get their food. They probably would. I mean, I'm realistic in that way, and yeah. I still love them. And I just love how they unconditionally are happy when I get home. Yeah. From what I've heard, cats will will, cannibal, will eat you first, not cannibalize. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you. <laughs> yes. How about you, Sarah? What are you grateful for this week? I am grateful for my shrink. Um, or, sorry, a therapist. Um, I've had several therapists over the years, and normally the the fact of going to them is the thing I'm paying for in the, the sense that I'm doing the responsible thing for myself by seeing a therapist. But about a year ago, I was in a really hard place and started seeing um, a new therapist. And it was like night and day for what she's been able to offer me compared to some of my past experiences. And she's been a great source of strength and inspiration. And I can't imagine making it to this point uh, on this day, starting this new chapter of life without her 
help and brilliance and support. And I feel so lucky. Um, so I, I would recommend to people, if you think you need help, go to psychology today, look up your local therapists. Um, and you know, if you don't feel like the one you have right now is working out, meet some new folks because they're all individuals that bring different things to the table. And when you find uh, a great therapist, it can do amazing things for your life. Mm. So, um, yeah. Yay. Thanks guys. Thank you. This has been by the sound, your community invested podcast. Special thanks this week to Jessica star rockers, Beatrice Alvarez, and all of our supporters on Patreon. Thanks also to Amy at IDDesigned.com for making our logos. Thanks, Amy. By the Sound is an Ahoy Hoy Media production. Ahoy Hoy!